0: Welcome to the podcast to be named later, where we explore the world, a conversation at a time, sit back and enjoy. Here are your hosts,
1: Chris and Kelly. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast to be named later. Chris couldn't be with us today. He says he was busy. I think he's off trying to make more fantasy football deals since he's leading our league. Uh, Although I've made a great leap from eighth place uh fifth last week and all the way up to third this week so chris i'm coming for you and you better get back on the podcast in chris's absence i've got a, a longtime friend baseball pal co-worker and all-around good guy that i've known for a long time as i said clint jorgensen clint's out in seattle and welcome to the podcast clint
0: hey congratulations kelly glad to be glad to be here
1: Great. Really happy to have you here. So, Clint, I mean, you and I, baseball season's over, but back in the day, you and I attended uh, more than our share of uh, Mariner games. (laughs) What happened to the old M's this year? They fell just a little bit short.
0: Oh, my gosh, yes, and I was there all the way up to the end. Uh, two, Two years ago, I was at the game when Cal hit the home run to get us in the playoffs. This year, we fell about two games short. Uh it hurt uh, as every year does when we don't get to the playoffs, but um uh the coach just doesn't understand um strategy in baseball. That's the way I look at it. Uh, uh I,
1: but your GM there, old Jerry DePoto, he sure understands it because he sure took a lot of heat for saying, Hey, I just want to win fifty four percent of the games.
0: Yeah, that's you know <laughs> he did say that, but you know, when you look out over the landscape, that's what it took to get to the playoffs and he's just going by numbers. So Jerry does a great job bringing in new players and new talents and, uh, and, and building a team that can actually sustain. Uh, it's just that the coach just kills me because he doesn't bunt, he doesn't get runners across from, from, from being on the base to get across home base. He just doesn't know how to get him across and, and to position players and make sure they actually put the ball down to move the runners along, it just kills me. That's my take, though.
1: You know, I moved to Seattle uh, in late 2000, so I kind of got spoiled that first year. It was like magic when the Mariners won 116 games. You know, it's almost like ancient history now. But uh, that town can be a baseball town. We saw it in 2001. I mean, it was like almost impossible to get a ticket, and everything was electric.
0: Yeah. And it's been that way down the end for a couple of years now. I mean, we, it, it's, it was hard to get a ticket at the end of this year, last year, two years ago. Um, it's just that uh, we're always what one or two bats away, right? That's the Mariners.
1: They are uh, quite a team. I, I still think that they've got a lot of potential. They're in a tough division uh, with <laughs> Houston and Texas and the Angels. Who knows what they'll ever do? I mean, that team blows me away in that they've had some of the best players in baseball, and they can't uh, seem to get above five hundred.
0: Which which team's that?
1: The the Angels.
0: Oh yeah, no, the Angels. They they have problems, and I think they're going to be they're going to lose some players here. I believe.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure they're going to lose Shoya Atani and who knows what they're going to do with Mike Trout? I mean. He's already in the back half of his career, and that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a stellar player. Uh, we've watched him a lot. I mean, plus Otani, watched him quite a bit here when they come to the Mariners. It's always fun to watch players from other teams, other divisions. But well, uh, Clint, here
1: at the podcast to be named later, um, one of the things we like to do, as you know, I don't see, and uh, my nephew Chris will sometimes also give us a few descriptions of different sporting things. Can you go back to your memory and just kind of nice, just imagine a nice sunny day? What's Safeco Field look like? And can you give us a little bit of a description of Safeco Field?
0: Yeah, Safeco Field uh, is actually pretty amazing. On a sunny day, I mean, I'm usually on the first base side. You and I have been uh, out by, uh, what, Kings Court, anywhere from left field. It's just, it's it's it just looks like one big amphitheater and blue sky up above seagulls floating around and just the sound of the ballpark with people you know hot dog vendors and and you know the the guy that threw the peanuts behind the back and just people getting beers and just a bunch of uh you know the edgar calls and the of old when would chant edgar edgar and it was just it's just a Fun ballpark to be at and especially when there's two strikes on a batter and and the Mariners are playing for some type of position in their league or a good game you'll fans will get up and they'll still do the wave you've been you and I've done the wave together and uh, it's just it feels electric at times uh, if you're looking from home plate out to center field you see this beautiful blue sky okay yeah just beautiful blue sky and the and the nice safe go um uh safe go sign it's still there it's, is it say T-Mobile now i think it yeah, T-Mobile park yeah T-Mobile but, T-Mobile park but uh i when it was what was the first year 2001 uh, i, think, no, I think
1: it opened in 98 or something like that 90 okay 98 so but, maybe 99
0: yeah, I, been there pretty much opening day for almost I think this year's the only year I haven't been to opening season day at the Mariner ballpark. But uh some great a games. Of,
1: like uh it's kind of funny. As much of a baseball fan as I've been, uh this year was the first year I made to Milwaukee Brewers opening day. I mean I lived out of state for a long time. And I had a run of like five or six Mariners opening days uh back in Seattle. Kinda of fortunate in that uh, my birthday's in early April and a lot of times their home home more than one of their home openers was actually on my birthday so that was like a double treat
0: yeah absolutely you know the, the Mariner ballpark's a fun place to go and uh it sure beats the pants off of uh, the Kingdome Kingdome was kind of small in terms of uh you know hitting the hitting the lines to go get some type of burger or something and go to the restrooms. It was just a joke getting in the kingdom but kingdom was kind of electric too, especially in 95, 96, 97. I will say
1: that the folks at uh, Safeco, I'll call it the T-Mobile, I think they've really made a, a nice ballpark. I know that more than once you and I hung out in uh, Edgar's Canteen area out in <laughs> yep. uh, left field. Uh, standing up by the rail and I think that was this really special place to watch a ball game
0: yep you're right at the left field foul pole you the bar is just right there and so when there's hitting practice they have a little net over on the top but yeah we sat right there and watched hitting practice uh and had a beer or maybe two we won't say how many we had <laughs> yeah it's a fun, it's actually just a fun park
1: yeah, I, I really think uh, – I mean, well, Seattle summers are generally pretty beautiful and, uh, you know, high 70s, low 80s. You get a gentle breeze. Uh, the other thing I always remember from evenings at Safeco and, uh, was the train whistle as the train's going by.
0: Absolutely. Yep, especially right before the games, you'd always get one before, as you were going to the park or walking to get to the front, front of the park to get in. Uh Definitely hear the sound of the train.
1: So I mean, Safeco Field's magical, and it's a ball field. And I know that uh, we've actually walked on the field as well. Uh, I remember one year. Uh, I'm sure you remember when they uh, let you sit in the dugout or wherever you wanted for a Mariners home open a uh, way opener. They opened up the field for a home uh, fans to watch I, the Mariners being. I think I right. So that was kind of cool, but. Clint, you've not only uh, you know, sat at baseball fields. You've actually been on the field the competition in sports, different sport, uh football as a quarterback. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, indeed. So what 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 high school did you play quarterback for?
0: Um, quarterback for Kelso High School out of Kelso, Washington, the Kelso Highlanders. And uh we chanted "We are Kelso" as we walked through to, to the start of the game. It was pretty, pretty impressive. It was pretty fun.
1: So I'd love to chat with you a little bit. You know, I've chatted with Chris a little bit, who was a high school running back. Uh, I'll Just ask you point blank: Were you any good?
0: You know, um, I, you know, I was for my size. Um, we were good as a team. I mean, I, I was held my own as a uh, had a great arm. Uh, didn't run the ball that well. We ran a veer option. Um, but, uh, passed the ball really well. And, uh, you know, always had winning teams.
1: So describe if you can, uh, you know, again, here on the podcast to be named later. Can you kind of lay out how the Veer option works and what players are all doing?
0: Yeah. The Veer option uh, is a pro set. There's two running backs in the back and, uh, the whole purpose is, is to, uh, uh, we had a 100 side was the right side. 900 side was the left side. So if we called like a 100 option, uh, the the right halfback, you have a right halfback and a left halfback. Um, the right halfback would dive around about the three hole, which is over the tackle basically. And you had the option of reading the defensive end. If the defensive end crashed down on the running back, you would keep the ball and run outside the, uh, right end and you'd have a trailing halfback who would be your who was the left tailback he would be about five yards away from you about at a 45 degree angle and you would have the option if someone came up to you to pitch the ball to him or take the ball upfield and run so it was called the triple option for that reason you have it a dive person you could hand off to you would, or you could keep the ball so you either had the option of handing it off if the if the uh, defensive end did not crash down, you'd hand it off. He'd go upfield, or you kept the ball, or you'd pitch the ball. Those are your three options. And that's why it's called the uh, the Veer triple option.
1: So as a quarterback, whether you're playing high school ball, college, you know, pros, uh, a lot of things run through you. I mean, you're obviously calling the play. <laughs> the, the key guy. How did you learn all this? Just, I mean, how do you learn the playbook and just – how to take that leadership position? How do you learn all that? 14, you, 15 you spe- year fifteen-year-old
0: kid. Yeah, right. So I started actually uh, in seventh grade as a quarterback, seventh, and uh, you, you, how you, you just spend a lot of time with the playbook and memorizing the plays, and in practices you ran them over and over and over, ad nauseum. You ran the plays over and over, and uh, you know you would. You would just have to memorize the playbook. The playbook was pretty, you know, deep. And it was a, a skill that, you know, you learn in school. is memorization is what it was, rote memorization. So
1: you're walking out there, you know, it's a, the first play of the game when you're on offense. What's
0: going through your mind? Uh, execute. Execution. And then you always look at the, when you're coming up to the line, you're always looking out and looking, or, or, you know, you're thinking, are they running man-to-man or are they running uh, zone? And you had certain things you needed to do that you have practiced if it's man-to-man versus zone. And if you see uh, deep, so you're, it's execution basically, and, and running the play as you've ran thousands of times over in practice. And that's why you practice like you play and you play like you practice.
1: So what what is it like uh, you know, sometimes the play goes south and what was that like when you were sacked as a quarterback?
0: Oh, um getting sacked because you know, I'm five eight. I mean I had guys six six, you know, two eighty, crunch you. It um you know you learn how to fall basically uh, running the option if someone's coming at you you learn to fall back and pitch the ball just as i would imagine as you know stunt men do in movies you learn how to fall so you don't hurt yourself and uh but there are sometimes you know my elbows still today if i touch a certain elbow the wrong way it has like a, a bone bruise and it hurts from being hit so many times and falling on the ground with and hitting the ground with my elbows. So So
1: so you've gotten knocked down, you're you know, you're in a little bit of pain. Hopefully one of your pals helps you up a little bit. You gotta get the next playoff pretty quick. What how do you how do you learn to adapt
0: to that? well you, sh- you shake it off you know they say to suck it up and shake it off and that's exactly what you do you just get back to the huddle and you've done it so many times over and over and i never really got hit there's only been one time that i got hit so hard i think it dislocated my jaw from a defensive end crashing down on me but uh you know i think i sat up at a play or two and they, they kind of put your jaw back into shape and you, you learn how to play through the pain because the superordinate goal is to win the game and to execute and to score points. And it seems like when you know when you're doing that with your buddies on the field, uh, the superordinate goal just kicks in and you just don't feel some of the pain sometimes. But then afterwards, it does come and hit you hard the next day, it, just like if you probably ran a marathon, I don't run marathons, but uh, you get you're sore you're pretty dang sore the next day if you know how often you got hit by the next day or the day after the second day was the worst. What, uh,
1: Chris and I from time to time have talked about these small areas of opportunity for like for professional quarterbacks to throw a ball. How accurate were you?
0: Uh, Pretty accurate. I had a strong arm for a little guy. Um, We ran a lot of down and outs and then, Once you read uh, the defenses, there's down, out, and up. I could throw the ball 60, 65 yards. I could throw it 35 yards on a rope. So it was pretty accurate, and I've got a lot of compliments, and I had one scholarship when I um, left. When I was in high school, I had one scholarship, which I didn't take, and that was down in um, Pacific University out of Portland, Oregon, somewhere
1: And recently, when we were just shooting the breeze through text messages, you uh, mentioned, I think you actually attended some camps with other, uh, like, uh, uh, names we might know. Is that what I recall?
0: (laughs) Yeah, 15 years old. I was one of the youngest. I think it it was 15 to about uh, college quarterbacks also. And it was uh, in Spokane, Washington at Whitman College, Whitworth College uh in uh, it was called the all northwest football camp in uh 1975 Kenny Stabler and Fred Bolitnikoff were the two people that ran the uh ran the around the uh camp and uh you got you got to learn quite a bit about execution and how to throw the ball how to release quick uh the uh the uh receivers got to learn a lot from Fred Bolitnikoff on how to run routes to diverge attention from one area to the next, so they got open, and um it was absolutely a blast, and I learned quite a bit at that football camp,
1: so I know this was a while ago for you, obviously, but uh when you watch yes. football uh do you do you ever have a daydream, a Walter mitty kind of hey I could have been out there
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, no, but there are certain plays you go, oh my gosh, why'd they do it that way? There are situational uh, uh, plays that you're just wondering, like, why did they do that? Why, they could have done this. Or why is he throwing the ball sideways? He's Or winding up when he's throwing, he's, he's wasting his time. And that's why he got sacked. I mean, I used to say that a lot about... And i still do with uh russell wilson winds up instead of putting the ball back by his ear and getting a quick release kind of like uh peyton manning did uh so but no i had uh you know small college yes but i don't have i mean that would be fantasy world you know for me to say that i could be in a like a doug flutie and be in the nfl (laughs) and by the way in, in college at intramurals that was kind of my nickname was flutie How, even as,
1: so as a young, young man, you know, you're 15, 16, 17, and I'm sure there's a lot of personalities and every wide receiver wants you to throw the ball to him and running backs want you to hand the ball off to him. How did you, as a, you know, young man, learn to manage all that?
0: Well, you know, I think even in college, in high school football, uh, the offensive coordinator and coach runs the plays in you only, the only time you really have, uh, to improvise is, uh, if you see uh, defense acting one way and you have a hot number and you're going to run an audible and I ran a few audibles, you know, if somebody's and I can see he's going to crash down and they're going to, uh, they're going to rush the quarterback. Um, I'll run a hot play and get the, um, get the tight end a uh, really quick throw up the middle on the hash mark and we have did that out a few times for for touchdowns but uh really you have set plays you're gonna run and th- we were a running team we you know probably passed the ball i probably passed the ball maybe 8 20 times at the most per game i think the most i had was 300 yards in a game or 280 yards in a game but um we ran the ball quite a bit and uh, we had set plays for set individuals and we had some pretty fast tailbacks. back so um there's not a lot of um there was not a lot of you know i want the ball i want the ball give me the ball type things because we had set plays we ran those in practice and that's what we ran in the games so i didn't really have to deal with a lot of that
1: so no quarterback's perfect i'm sure you threw a pick or two.
0: Oh so uh a pick six only had one uh it was tacoma we ran uh, tacoma was like second in the state they were a triple we a team or a triple a they came down to kelso longview area we played them and i think carter this guy is he i think he went to notre dame and was the starting tailback for notre dame but he uh picked the ball and ran it back seven a pick six off me and um we weren't even supposed to be close to him, but we took him into triple overtime and we lost in triple overtime.
1: So what goes through your mind when you, you know, you throw, you, <laughs> you throw that interception? What goes through your mind?
0: Well, you, you're saying, well, first of all, there's a few few choice words that come out of your mouth. And then you're obviously, I mean, I, had to, I ran after him and tried to tackle him, didn't get it, uh, didn't get there. I got knocked on my ass by a, somebody that, blocked me off and um it doesn't feel good but you realize you know there's going to be mistakes and i was trained to if you make a mistake get get up off your ass and go run another play right so um sure it hurts there for a while but um it's not the end of the world you got to continue to play
1: are there uh on the positive side I'm sure you also had like, uh, you know, those experiences, of maybe it's a really good throw or something else, a memory that even today, when you think back about Friday night on the field that, you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen would say glory days, but, uh, just one of those plays where you're like, man, I, I'm Clinton. I got it going on on that
0: one. Right. We, well, I had a few touchdowns. So, um, uh, my, um, I think my, my most memorable one is a, a really good friend, Lloyd Malone. Ninth grade football, we were uh, uh, last game of the year, and if we would win it, we would tie the championship. And it, uh, time ran out on the clock. I had the ball. I saw him close to the goal line. I threw it to him. He ran another 15 yards in the end zone, and we won the game with zero time left on the clock. And we tied for the championship in ninth grade. And so that was probably the, uh, I, I still remember that. I The game I mentioned to you about triple overtime, I just remember throwing the ball in the end zone and a touchdown to get it into overtime. Um, it, touchdown passes, they just feel really, really good, especially when they're longer passes and they basically got to the touchdown based off of your length of your pass. Um, but uh, touchdowns and home runs all feel good.
1: <laughs> when you played high school ball, were you a two-way player or just quarterback?
0: Uh, in high school, just quarterback. In junior high, I was a two-way player.
1: You ever? Uh, it's pretty amazing to see in, in college ball this guy for Colorado that's playing both ways.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I don't even see how that's... I mean that's a lot of uh, time on the field. I forgot his name. He got hurt that second game or third game, didn't yeah, he? Yeah,
1: he just came back this week,
0: and he j- and he just came back. Um, and that's too bad too because they got crushed by Oregon. I think that game didn't they? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So football for you his- was a while ago, Clint. But uh, you know, I've always heard and uh, from people that you know some of the lessons that you learn in in these sports kind of carry through with life you've obviously had a career working in software in different ways Um, are there lessons that you learned and took forward from uh, football
0: um leadership uh and being in groups and making decisions on the fly I think uh one of my pet peeves about you know any business is there's a lot of people that just don't know how to make a decision and uh making a decision on the spot and leading a team and making that decision. And, and that's pretty much the lesson that I learned. And then um, execution. I mean, you, you've got to go out and get it done to accomplish the end game. And uh, th- those were life lessons, I believe, that I've carried on throughout my life. Um, ability to make a decision on the spot. Absolutely. What was it
1: like? Uh, you know, just getting all dressed up for the game with all the pads and everything. What what goes through your mind when you're doing all that?
0: Well, you know, I listened to music. We didn't have a big stereo in our, in our uh, field house before the game, but um, I just focused on the plays and, and talked to, you know, tried to talk to the team, my team members. And I did talk to my team members and get them jazzed and psyched in a, in a, fashion to where they're not overexcited, where they you know just burn themselves out before the game but I've seen people I had a really good friend named Dan Hanks he was extreme like hitting his head on the you know hitting the head on a on the on the wood walls and and just driving himself into almost a fever to, and foaming at the mouth to get out there and kill someone uh, you know calm Calm excellence is what I would say. I didn't. I didn't really go nuts. Um, I tried to encourage others to, to do the same.
1: You do hear that. I mean, especially in the pros or college, and I'm sure even in high school. And I remember talking to some buddies back in high school. Uh, it is a different world. That if you're not, if you've never played football, just I mean, it is. Once you're in that game, it's kind of a different world. is what all my buddies have said. How do you turn that on and off?
0: Uh, well, you you turn it on and off based on the time on the clock. Uh, but it, I tell you what, it, it's, I think we had uh, – the, the game would last an hour. It felt like three hours sometimes, or sometimes it even felt really faster. Uh, execution, I mean, it, it was – sometimes plays felt like they lasted like an hour, an hour but they only – they were like 30 seconds. But to turn it off and on, um, I didn't have any special uh, – Uh, routine that I went through other than, um, in the moment, understand where you're at, what you need to execute and what you need to do and, uh, clarity. If there is
1: one lasting memory, uh, you know, from your football days, what would it be?
0: Uh, I didn't hear the question, Kelly. Sorry. Sorry.
1: Sorry. If if you had like one lasting memory, and maybe you've already covered, but just like you know, in your mind's eye, slow mo, you run it at, late at night. Is there a, a memory that sticks
0: with you to this day? Um, uh, the the one I mentioned in ninth grade, uh, it, it, that that pass, and then that the, the, for the uh, championship, and then the uh, the pass in overtime. Um, th- there's been, in in the Northwest, you play in the rain a lot um we played aberdeen, and uh it's just rainy and uh the defensive end crashing down on me all the time. He's the guy that um dislocated my jaw. Um, just that feeling um of execution and non execution it uh, you you still feel today I still feel the elation of a uh, TD pass at times. I mean, it, there's nothing like it. I mean, it, it's like shipping software. I mean, you, that's what I would equate it to, Kelly. You've shipped software, you've, you've done really good work and, and uh, shipped and, and went to the parties afterwards. That's how you feel when you throw a touchdown.
1: Uh, keeping it family friendly, have you ever been in a pile for a fumble?
0: yeah been in a pile for a fumble Um, I've been grabbed everywhere you can possibly imagine and it and I've been bit uh it uh, at the bottom of a pile
1: you'll never you're never going to see a camera or microphone in those piles
0: even in pro football (laughs) (laughs) you're never going to see you hear choice words and you are grabbed places you don't really want to uh, tell your mom about
1: I remember sitting next to a buddy of mine in, in uh, high school math. He was a line uh, offensive lineman, and uh, he just told me. I asked him the same question. I was just curious, you know. And this guy was the most mild-mannered guy you could ever imagine. And just said, "Kelly, you don't want to know what goes on <laughs> in the pile." <laughs>
0: well, yeah, well, you, well, you can't imagine what goes on in the pile. But that plus more.
1: <laughs> so, uh, quite quite an interesting thing, Clint. Uh, as far as reactions and timing, you know, when you're doing all this stuff, I mean, a football player, you're lucky if it lasts four seconds and you're making these split decisions. Have, have you had other experiences in life that equate to that level of rapidity?
0: Um, you know... <laughs> Yeah. I may remember, you know, last minute changes in software where, you know, you've got your boss's boss's boss over your back and you're you and the tester that are actually testing the feature and search remember search in the address bar and we're going to ship tomorrow, but there's some small change and does it work or not? I mean, you have to make a decision. Hey, can we do this before you even get to that point where they're testing it? You're behind the scene with your boss and your boss's boss? Can we get this done? How are we going to get it done? Okay, yes, we can get it done. And then, and then you go execute it. And you got basically two hours to do it in, and you're going to build the product and ship it in a day. So There's been many times that we've had to make those type of decisions. I've always been one to say that we can get it done. Um, Never been burnt by it, but almost. Uh,
1: I do think that uh, especially uh, that shipping software is kind of an interesting thing. I know we both worked together for a long time. Clint was actually my boss for a couple of years. Um, But uh, that last-minute... (laughs) <laughs> execution is kind of uh, that feeling right before you put the software out there. Uh, always kind of—I'm uh, uh, trying to think of the best word. You—you you got a lot of hope. You put a lot of work. You put a lot of work, and you think you've done everything. And
0: uh, it—they uh, just of a sudden, wait for the feedback. You just
1: don't know. Like, and there's that. How's it going to be received?
0: Yeah, and that's when you run a play in football, that's the same way. That's exactly that feeling right there, Kelly. That's how a play feels in football. And it's either going to go well, or it's not going to go well. And, and if it, you know, you get to go do it over again each and every time. But when it goes well and you, you hit the home run or your, your customers feel great and they give you a you know, pat on the back or a lot of feedback, that positive feedback, it feels good.
1: You know, I do remember and I I guess it'd be the closest thing I can recall to an interception in my software career. I can't remember if we worked together at this time or not. Um, going back uh when Microsoft was working on Windows XP SP2 uh the uh, when we had a real security push, I and remember I was the tester for a feature in i e called manage add-ons and not to go too deeply into it, but uh basically it allowed people to see all of the three kind of different sorts of tools that were running inside their browser, whether those were uh toolbars you know. ActiveX controls, other extensions. Uh-huh. I remember testing this thing every way to Sunday because we wanted to make sure that we could detect things and uh, turn them off or on, and we had uh, some crash detection and other stuff. And I remember uh, this. I still remember. Uh, I hope I, I hope I'm not uh, remembering it incorrectly, but because of how these things uh, registered. I do remember there was a toolbar from another company that we, they found a way to allow our technology initially to not manage it. So you couldn't turn it off. And I remember the feeling of, because they basically, uh, kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but they classified it as something else than it, what it was. And I remember the feeling of being the tester, uh, that how how did this get past me why didn't i think of what they could have done because i know right after that product shipped it was one of the first bug fixes we actually had to f- ship so you know you you pour your uh blood sweat and tears into something and um i think that that's always the really interesting thing about software that i think i recall learning when i first you know went to microsoft uh from being a user you don't really understand all of the effort it takes to build these programs, and how many hours, you know, okay,, yeah, okay, we click on this menu item or we click on this or we press this keyboard hotkey. All the energy, effort, discussion, labor uh, that goes into making all this work is fascinating behind the scenes.
0: Yep, absolutely. I, you know, XPSP2, I think, I think that's probably when you first was on my team. I think that was that IE6 or, or it would have been was past
1: that? IE6. It was like,
0: IE8. No, it was, was it, it was right before Seven. IE7. Okay, six, two. You, okay, so I came back to IE in IE7. So you were, that was probably a different team. Um, Yeah,
1: so the team I had been on, I started at Microsoft on this product called MSN Explorer. Uh, We
0: worked there together. We worked there together.
1: Yeah, it was Microsoft's competitor to AOL. Uh, Then that team went back into Windows and for a little while was called the Deluxe Team. Yep. Um, And then IE in the day was kind of in a sustained engineering mode. And then they kind of merged the Deluxe team with the Sustained Engineering team. Uh, I hope I got all the facts basically right.
0: And That's kind of right, yeah.
1: Then basically remade an IE team. And the first yep. kind of product that that group worked on was the XPSP2. And then I know I worked on IE for IE7, 8 9, and I think 10.
0: Right. I think you and I worked on MSN Explorer together, and then I came back. I went and did photo software in between the IE 6 when Jim Alchin said, no more browser, and then it was sustained engineering. And then with IE 7, I came back right at pretty much the start of IE 7 and lasted from 7 through 10. I should have left an IE 9. <laughs> <laughs> You know
1: it's funny Clint we talk about that and I think about it now and I think you know our the thing that we all gave a lot of hours hours to uh months and
0: more it's gone <laughs> Yeah by the way it's not only gone it's uh it, you know I I used Chrome a lot when I actually left Microsoft and and um I really liked it. I I kind of it's kind of my browser, but Edge makes me sick. I kind of squirm when I use that. Um, and just the way Microsoft has gotten rid of it, they still think of their customers as users, which is obvious when you use their products. Um, I'm not, I'm not a fan anymore, Kelly. Just not a fan.
1: Well, in the browsing space, the one good thing I will say is. Um, It is really nice. Uh, Obviously, I'm interested in accessibility, and I know you've worked around that. But especially in the uh, content area of browsers, the fact that Microsoft and Google are contributing, right, and they're both running off the same Chromium uh, stuff. That has been such a positive for accessibility because... Right, whether it's screen readers or other assistive technology, they're not having to chase down support as much for multiple browsers.
0: Yeah, I would imagine so because it's all built off one Chromium engine, I mean, and then the the UI difference or the customer interface differences. But yeah. uh, it it is. I mean, compatibility has come a long ways, right?
1: I think the whole uh browsing industry has come a long way i mean it's yeah it's got it's still got its quirks and there's more to do but you know uh as i'm just thinking back to interesting experiences uh building a web browser I, I think the one that made me chuckle the most uh was there was a day <laughs> And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is if you don't work in the software business, like, you know, you don't know this always goes on. But like we would make a a version of the browser basically every day, you know, and I mean, I know you (laughs) know this and sometimes, you know, multiple branches and versions. But I remember one day I was happily browsing away with my screen reader and I was one of the first people into work and. Everybody else was, when they got in, they had a huge problem because something had gone wrong with the, the build that day. And visually, the whole browser was black.
0: <laughs> right? Your screen, reader, your screen reader doesn't give you that information, right?
1: I uh, read everything just fine.
0: Read everything I just, just fine. that
1: was one of the more interesting things. Yeah, well, hey.
0: There was a lot of interesting um, things.
1: I know we weren't uh, you've worked in the software business and other areas as well. Uh, I know at one point you worked in a gaming company. What was that like?
0: Um oh, gaming company was absolutely a blast because we didn't use anything Microsoft uh, really other than um uh in terms of tools, right? New tools and learning new th- new ways to like Elysian, we got to use that for uh, bugs. And it was basically when use cases and agile pro, uh, program management were, and project management was in place. And so I got to learn that. And, um, uh, and, uh, and then I owned, we ported software from the casino floor to the um, iPhone and Android. And I got to learn cell, cell developments, building for cell phones and uh the different uh memory issues with phones and on android and uh iphone and uh then we we actually tested the math model behind a slot game that was very interesting so the different aspects of and learning new uh new tools new products new features of of, uh, different um, environments was pretty impressively amazing i've learned that all in like three years and then the one legacy issue i had to deal with was uh get this old games ran on um flash and you know the i came on that uh it's, it was called double down uh double down entertainment a, a division of igt, IGT bottom um IGT owned like sixty percent of all slot games in Vegas, but it was a pretty. It was actually just a fun time because I got to learn new new environments and new tools, and um, so it was actually pretty fun.
1: It's wild to think back about some of the things like that ran inside of browsers back in the day, Flash <laughs> or Microsoft Silverlight, and who knows what else.
0: Yeah, Flash was a, a, a Flash was hard to deal with. We uh, we kind of just sunset that thing down and got rid of it all together, and just put um, a new web t- front end on it.
1: I want to change gears, Clint? I mean, it's really fun walking down Memory Lane on software, but uh, in the last little bit of time, we also you know talk a lot about sports, and I know you enjoy sports. Hard to believe uh, the NFL season we just finished uh, week six out of eighteen weeks, so we're a third of the way through. Anything big uh, interest you or jump out about what you've seen in the first six weeks of the NFL season? Uh, you know,
0: a lot of the just the young quarterbacks that are actually you know nailing it, uh, uh, and uh, you know it seems to NFL has changed a lot. It seems like over the last five years. 10 years five years where you know it's it's a passing it's a passing environment now and you've got uh it's you know the, the quarterback's always been probably the one of the predominant but you got receivers now that are just elevated in terms of presence in the game as much as a quarterback just there's some amazing receivers out there and so i'm i i have not really watched all that much football this year you started off the talk around uh your brother's um your brother's uh, pool, fantasy that you're, football. Or you're yeah. fantasy football. I, I think I won that one time.
1: <laughs> you 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 did, man. I invited you to play us in a, a pick'em. Uh pick all the games. I, yeah, trust me, I still hear about that. Hey, I invited you to join this league of uh, picking the games every week, and uh, you cleaned up. I think you won by a lot. I think you even...
0: I I did I, I skipped a week. Remember, I, think you I was a on week vacation. And still won I, like
1: seven or eight games.
0: Right? Yeah, I did. It was kind of funny. Um, I, I got. I remember you telling me that your brother always gave you gave you crap about that. You know, but, uh, yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> so,
1: what's up with the Seahawks out there in Seattle?
0: The Hawks. You know, I've been pretty impressed of. Uh, you know, once we got, you know, once the Wilson era was gone and G- and June, Gino's been involved, I mean, I'm pretty bit impressed. You know, he's been, he was sitting behind the scene and he's actually a pretty solid quarterback. Uh, we got a couple great runners. Um, but I'm not, you know, Seattle's, I'm a kind of a pseudo Seahawk fan, always have been. My team's the Raiders and I'm trying to, you know, limp along with them. Um, you know, especially after. The coaches' issues they've had and the player Raiders issues, but
1: a, a year ago, like they thought they were going to be all that. Uh, you know, they thought like salvation was coming. They got Devontae Adams. They were going to pair him with his old college bug, but Derek Carr. Derek that Carr. Didn't last yep. Too
0: long. Neither did the coach. Did it? No. <laughs> Uh, i heard he's coming back he might be an offensive coordinator right yeah, for the is, pittsburgh I saints oh Pitt, Pitt, yeah pittsburgh it's pittsburgh but all in all the question you asked i i think uh football seems to be changed from a running game to a passing game um offensive linemen uh big defensive ends uh run or uh, wide receivers and just the wideouts outs they have in the spread offense uh it's just become i think just last night and i i i was thinking this myself a little bit is that it just feels like flag football i think brady just mentioned that last night in an article about he said uh nfl refs have gotten so bad it just and it's become a passing offense it is just feels like flag football I don't feel that way, but I thought it was odd uh, reading the headline that Brady said it just feels like flag football. What do you think, it's an
1: interesting thing, and I wonder, you know, maybe not one or two years, but I do wonder if 10 years from now tackle football will be gone.
0: You can't touch the quarterback. You see the number of flags this year on the quarterback, and they didn't get hit that hard.
1: You know, I think the, the challenge here is that, teams are spending so much money on the quarterbacks you know when even if your salary cap is like whatever it is i think 220 million when your top flight quarterbacks are taking up a quarter of that at 50 million or a little bit under a quarter uh that guy goes down and you're really hurting yeah
0: yeah you're really hurting i really do like the backup quarter like a a I'm, i'm really i'm a Gardner Minshew fan.
1: So, speaking of Gardner Minshew, uh, what's your whole take on the expansion of the Pac-12 as a Cougar?
0: Um, from a pure economic point of view, I think it's crap. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I colleges are supposed to be nonprofit institutions. There's a rich tradition on the Pac-12, over a hundred year conference. Conference of Champions, I, I think um, you've got the, the money people that are um, the, the uh, athletic directors that just want to go to a conference and all about media and money. It's media and money, media and money. And I realize in a world that's driven off of money, and uh, success supposedly is about money, um, it, just, it just hurts deep down to know that there's not going to be a Pac-12 next year. Uh, it's just it it that's not the world i would really want to live in tell the truth it doesn't i don't know pack the cougs have issues oregon state office gonna have issues but um i think it's a shame i think they should be embarrassed i think uh it
1: yeah no i think it's tough i don't like to i mean Honestly, I grew up obviously here as a Big Ten guy, but it was always, uh, I mean, back in the day, again, you know, it was the Rose Bowl was always the Big Ten and the Pac-10, and that was that was a big part of college football for me. So all these schools out on the West Coast before I lived there, you know, they were, as a kid, they were kind of exotic, you know, whether it was Washington or uh UCLA or uh, you, USC State or? or just any of those schools that was that was exotic to me and then as I grew up and became an adult you learn about the Pac 10 became the Pac 12 I think it's unfortunate that uh these conferences have gotten too big I mean and we can't even do math I think it's going to be 18 schools <laughs> yeah. in the Big 10
0: next year it, it, isn't that crazy? 18 schools. Well, it is. Yeah, it's the travel. Um, like I mentioned, I, I think college are supposed to be nonprofit organizations and their athletic departments are running as if they're a profit center. And, well,
1: I, and they are. I mean, so I, I and I, for me, I'm like, I don't know, man, why should we just separate out co- college athletics and make it a minor league for these things? You know, but that doesn't really do it for a lot of the other sports, the non revenue sports. And I do worry about, you know, the swim meet uh, in whatever time you're going to, you know, that's way different than the football team coming across country for. Right. Or uh, volleyball a game. or
0: softball or, yeah, there's going to be track and field. There's. Uh I just don't know how it's going to play out other than um, you know, the athletic director for the Huskies said that he doubts there'll be a, uh, there'll be a uh, Apple cup in the future. Right.
1: And I think that, that, would, that those kind of things, you know, uh, especially with some, we, uh, we don't have an in-state rival with the Badgers here, but I mean, we do have teams uh, we just played one, uh, Iowa and Minnesota are always big games for the Badgers, but uh, whether it's the the big game down with Cal and Stanford or USC and UCLA or the Apple Cup, you know, really got into that when I was living in Washington or the civil war in Oregon with Oregon and Oregon state. Those yep. are, I don't know. Maybe I sound like, you know, the old curmudgeon, but there's something special about those in-state rivalries uh, with growing up in that state and seeing your whichever team you root for playing the other team in your state. And if we lose more and more of that, I mean, again, I know what life changes and life evolves. And at some point it will be, you know, we'll have these 18 conferences, team conferences, and that will be what the kids of, you know, five years from now grow up knowing. And I guess that'll be okay. But for people that go through some of these changes, the loss of some of the traditions—it's—it's—it's uh, kind of sad uh,
0: to me, anyway. Yeah, it's kind of sad. It—it it really is. And uh, I just wish the Pac-12 uh, sports channel, you know, Pac-12 channel, would have made money for them. I wish it would have been everything they thought it would be. I think they got rooked with the. Uh, the guy who ran that operation, not, uh, they, they, you could at one time when it first was um, established, uh, you could never could find the PAC 12 channel on any streaming service or any network. You could never find it.
1: No, yeah, that was Larry Scott. And I think he made very poor. Oh my God. I, 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 won't pre, I wasn't in any of the discussions, obviously. So I don't know. <laughs> I can't I'm say poor, but of if media deals help, some of these other conferences, the Pac-12, like they 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 got an F.
0: Oh, absolutely, they got an F, and and the results. This is what the results are, right?
1: Yeah, and and it's in that regard, it's it's unfortunate. Hey, before I let you go, Clinton, we call this an episode. Uh, I, I don't know if you didn't follow him much because I know you're a Cougar, not a Husky. But what's your take on this quarterback for the? the huskies that was quite a game against oregon uh this weekend i don't
0: know if you caught any of that i watched the whole game uh yeah solid player he makes great decisions he he in terms of uh tech, technical in terms of how he throws the ball he's got a lot to work on i i think he gets the ball batted down quite a bit uh it's because he doesn't throw up enough He d- it, and give him, leverage his height he throws his kind of sidearm and there's a time and place for sidearm but uh he, he, he needs to hold, throw from the ear, not the like, like a Peyton versus winding up. He wastes time. But all in all, he's a pretty solid player, and you see the results. I mean, the Huskies are a pretty dang good team. I was pretty impressed with the way Oregon ran the ball that game. I couldn't believe it got down there at the end, and they lost because of a missed field goal. It, it, I thought that was going to go into overtime. I think everyone else did too. But to answer your question, Huskies look pretty dang good. Yeah, honestly,
1: I watched that whole game, and it was one of the better, one of the better, more entertaining college football games I've seen in a while. Yep. Uh, I I don't I guess I don't have a big strong rooting interest for either team. I lived in Washington
0: and lived in Oregon. Uh, but hey, it, I got a question. The question for you: What do you think of that Cougar Badger game?
1: Yeah what
0: about a <laughs> in a row? <laughs> taking into a yeah but then the so the cougars i think just disbanded their team after they went 4 and 0 cuz the last two games i've watched a little bit of that's not the cougars i saw i don't know what's going on with them i think the players got wind that he's looking elsewhere probably be the michigan state coach and and uh Whatnot, but I tell you what, the Cougars weren't prepared for the last two games they played. That wasn't the same team that played the Badgers.
1: No, uh, I mean, the, again, I follow I follow the Cougars a little bit because, as you know, I mean, I know you're a fan. Uh, another guy who's come on the podcast once, a buddy of mine, Dan, is uh, a Coug. Uh, so I do follow him, and the wheels have fallen off a bit because... <laughs> They they had it going on in the first four games of the season, and I mean they they just plain handily uh, beat the Badgers, no questions asked.
0: Right, they beat two top twenty teams, Oregon yeah. State. Oregon Oregon State is a great team. Yeah, That's yeah. going to be a real yeah. I think um, I think Oregon State plays uh, USC or someone here soon. But anyway, Oregon the Oregon State Oregon game will be good. I think. I think actually that's who they play this week.
1: I haven't looked ahead to the this weekend's games yet, but I will.
0: Yeah, but uh, college ball is fun to watch, and I've been pretty impressed with like Michigan, um, their quarterback too. He, he throws a pretty crisp ball.
1: Yeah, there's some uh, Michigan. Uh, you know, they're, they're good. Uh, I can't can't be too positive about them because I am a Badger, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I think you. the you know the the quality of play is probably i don't know how to evaluate this entirely but i'll say this you get more i get more entertainment out of college football than many of the pro games uh pro football games everyone sometimes yeah. you get a really good pro game but there's a lot of clunkers and duds too man
0: absolutely um, no, I get a lot of. There's a lot of, and any for almost each and every conference too, because I watch a, you know, I'll watch some SEC, some ACC, some Big Ten, Big Twelve.
1: Uh, I I guarantee you, more often than not, I can find oh, over the course of a weekend, you know, at least two or three like college games that captivate you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And you watch a lot of the programs, and obviously you got your rooting interest, but I mean especially this weekend i don't know what happened to the NFL this last weekend there was a lot of bad
0: football played <laughs> yes there was a, lot, a you know a lot of like 15 to 12 games
1: yeah they were, they, but there wasn't a good 15 to 12 <laughs> exactly i don't yeah. hey, I mean if you have a if you have a game that was like really good deep there's a difference between good good defense and poorly executed offense.
0: Well, and the, take the Seahawks. I mean, they scored the first, what, four four minutes of the game, and they their offense wasn't even around for the next three and a half quarters.
1: That's what always blows me away <laughs> about pro games, man. You see these teams sometimes come out first couple drives and they're like a house of wildfire. Or, right. although this happened in college too, uh, where Colorado goes up uh, 29 oh. to nothing. Twenty twenty
0: to nothing, yep.
1: You know, uh, and then I guess it's just the nature <laughs> of sports, and uh, it's probably hard sometimes to m- maintain that uh, momentum when you're really handily uh, taking it to the other opponent.
0: You know, m- momentum shifts are odd when you're playing a sport. I think it's in football. You 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 you, you feel like you got you do a couple passes and you're you're two and zero oh and and you know you hit a couple more and all of a sudden you have the momentum going. You score a touchdown and then all of a sudden you know you you run and you lose three yards you, or you get two you know you miss two they miss two passes or you miss a throw and the momentum shifts are just amazing. Whether that be on regular f- plays or or special teams. You know, you've seen the special team play where, you know, the guy tripped the last time. This time he ran the ball all the way down eighty yards for a touchdown. It's yep. crazy.
1: It, I mean, it's and I, back I and I forth. Think, I mean, obviously there's some degree of talent difference, but uh, more and more often than not, the talent in most games especially pros i mean you don't get that far without having a high degree of talent but and i've said this when chris and i have talked several times i think that you know emotion uh plays a bigger part in sports than we recognize sometimes
0: yeah and then how you control emotion to to accomplish results i mean you know absolutely and you you've seen the, the you can't
1: get too high when you know like I'm sure when you when you're throwing an 80-yard bomb and the guy's catching it and running for a touchdown uh, I mean even playing in the in the backyard you know when you have that kind of thing <laughs> you, can, you you know that feeling of wow I'm invincible. Right, right. But you can't let that go to your head because uh I mean that's that's when you'll find yourself flat on your back.
0: Yeah, flat on your back or you throw the pick six that that kind of gets get you back down to the reality
1: yeah yeah well speaking of reality clint it's been a, a real treat to have you come on and uh, chat with me good to catch up and uh, have you on the podcast to be named later we'll have to not have you be a stranger to this uh
0: well it's been fun kelly i appreciate it it was uh you know you're asking an old brain to memorize stuff that you know some you know 40 some years ago. So, yeah. The software stuff's a little more current, but uh It was fun, Kelly. I appreciate you having me. And uh yeah. Well, fun all right. Time.
1: Clint and uh thanks everyone for listening to another episode of the podcast to be named later.